thank you to uh, the choir and the worship team for getting our hearts prepared. If you have your Bibles, uh, please take them, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13. I know y'all got a week off from Hebrews last week, but we are back today and uh, we're getting to the good stuff. You know, uh, my dad uh, went to work after about the eighth grade and he helped uh, his family eke out a living there in North Florida, uh, doing all kind of things. Uh, but because he didn't get to finish his, uh, he really valued education. In fact, he told me on more than one occasion, Mike, your education is something nobody can get from you or take away from you, uh, so you need to get one. And uh, part of the American dream for my dad was for his kids to get a good education. And so he did uh, everything he could to make sure that we had the opportunity uh, to get a uh, good education and actually uh, to go to college. And all of us, all five of us were fortunate and privileged uh, to do that. And a couple of us even some, some extra, you know, time. And, and so one of the great privileges of, of living in America is, man, we have the opportunity to get a good education and all the benefits that come from that. And and, and preparing us for the pursuit of life and liberty and happen, happiness. Now, an interesting thing about modern education, uh, at least I think it's modern, is the AP classes. They're, they're advanced placement classes. Now, as far as I know, they didn't offer them at Williston High School in the 1970s. But today, you can take an AP class. And if you take the class and then you get to the end of the year, if you pass the test at the end of the year, you can get college credit for it. But the deal is, you can go to every class, you can take, take every note, and you can make an A all the way through the class, but if you don't pass the test at the end of the year, you don't get college credit. Now, here's the thing. For 12 chapters, we've been, we've been in class. We've been learning about the theology of how Jesus is better Man, Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the Old Covenant. Jesus is a better sacrifice. I mean, it's Jesus is better. Jesus is... I mean, for 12 chapters. And when we get to chapter 13, it's time to look at the test. Because everything we've learned about and everything we've been talking about has set us up to get here and start putting into practice or start putting to the test, if you will, Everything that we have learned. And so 12 chapters of doctrine. And man, it's been good. It's been, uh, uh, sometimes it's been a little bit uh, difficult to understand. Sometimes it's been a little bit challenging. Uh, hopefully uh, at times it's been encouraging. But today we start really looking at, okay, what does that mean? And so we're going to look at chapter 13. And we're not going to give a test, but this is really... We're going to start talking about things that test out to see if what we've been learning uh, is being applied. So look with me. In fact, uh, rather than start in 13.1, look with me at verse 28 of chapter 12. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a scholar. I'm not the son of a scholar. Uh, and I'm certainly not qualified to edit uh, the Bible. Having said all that, I believe verse 28 would have been a great place to start chapter 13 because it begins with this summation Therefore, that says, in light of everything we've talked about for 12 chapters, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Would you pray with me? Father, as we, uh, in these next moments, as we open up this passage of Scripture, and God, as we begin to look at the test questions, if you will, what we're to do in light of what we've learned, God, I pray that you'd speak into our life this morning, Lord. I pray that you'd convict our hearts, that there's some areas where we can, we can please you in a very special way by, by honoring you and obeying your word. And so, God, would you just meet with us and, and speak to us as, as a follower of Christ? Lord, I want to grow. And, Lord, there are many followers of Jesus here. Lord, we want to grow, and we want to live a life that's pleasing to you. And, God, there are also uh, some here this morning with us who have, who have not yet decided to follow Jesus. They're learning about him, and my prayer and my hope is that today they would discover that living for Jesus and following Jesus and experiencing his life and forgiveness is the very best thing that life has to offer. So come meet with us, Lord. Uh, we'll be careful to give you the honor and the glory for all. May you bring to mind every word I need to say. May you anoint the teaching of your word with the power of the Spirit of God. Uh, God, just hide me behind the cross. You speak to us, and we'll give all the glory and all the honor to Jesus. For in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in light of chapters 1 through 12, he says, Let us be grateful for receiving an unshakable kingdom. And let us offer to God acceptable worship. Does anybody remember, uh, from two weeks ago, does anybody remember uh, there was a synonym for the word worship that we said we could kind of plug in here? Uh, at verse, verse 29 where it says, let us, let us offer to God acceptable worship. There was another word. Does anybody remember what that was? Service. 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 Let us offer to God acceptable service. Now, how would we do that? How, 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 do we offer, how do we offer God acceptable service with awe and with reverence? Well, that, that's what the writer begins to tell us there in verse 1. He's telling us how you and me, how we can live our life to please God. And he says, so let brotherly love continue. Uh, let us not neglect uh, to show hospitality to strangers. Uh, let us honor the marriage relationship. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. You know, uh, let us learn to be content. So we're going to talk about these things because because here beginning in verse 1, he begins to give us the practical implications or the practical application to everything we've been learning about. Now, when you take the AP test, now I didn't take the AP test. Uh, I don't know if in 1970s in Williston, Florida, they didn't offer them or if I was not smart enough. I'm going where they didn't offer them. So just, if you know different, don't tell me, okay? I'm just going to go with that. But, but, but we didn't have that option, or at least I didn't have that option. But you got that option today. But the deal is, you can go to class and you can take all the notes. You can go to class and, and you can regurgitate all the information to, to your teacher. You can make an A first semester and you can make an A second semester. 
But if you're going to get college credit, you've got to go sit down and you've got to take the AP test. You, your knowledge has got to be put to the test. And what I, want, what, what I want us to get our minds around this morning is it's good to know the Scriptures. And it's good to know all this doctrine. And we should know doctrine. And you should make it a point in your life to learn what the Word says. But here's what I want to say. Until we take what we learn and put it to the test by putting it into practice, we're really not going to get credit for pleasing God. God is just, listen, listen. God is not just interested in how much we know. You know what he's interested in? How much we do. So that's what the writer's talking about. So if you're going to please God, and if I'm going to please God, there's just some things we need to do. And so let me give you, uh, I want to give you a couple, uh, just kind of summarize this thing. So, somebody said this, and I think it was Tom Nelson, but he, he said it's really interesting. Uh, verse 1 through 3 tells us how we please God as it relates to mankind. Verse 4 tells us how we please God as it relates to marriage. And verse 5 tells us how we can please God as it relates to money. And so we're going to talk about that. So, so how, how would you and how would, I, how would we please God in terms of how it relates to mankind? Well, he gives us about three or four commands. There. First of all, he says, uh, we demonstrate love. That's how we would please. We demonstrate love to others. Now, how would we do that? He says, first of all, we let brotherly love continue. Now, if he says let it continue, it stands to reason that the, the Hebrews, they were already loving one another. But he said, hey, in the middle of your hardship, in the middle of your difficulty, don't stop. Loving one another, but let it continue. Now, in the, in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, there are three different words that are translated love. Now, we've got one. You know, we love pizza, and, and we love the Dallas Cowboys, or, or not, or, or whatever. And, and we love our kids, and we love God. We just have one. But in Scripture, there's three. First of all, there's, there's this, this Greek word. It's, you've probably heard it if you've been around church a little bit. It's called agape. But what it means is unconditional love. It means to love without condition. That's how God loves you and me. You know, for God so loved the world. That's that word. That's unconditional love. And in fact, uh, husbands, that's how God commands we love our, life, our wives, without condition. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, I think. But there's a second word, uh, in, in the Greek language that the New Testament is written in, and it's the word eros. We get our word erotic, and it's the physical, the sexual kind of love, if you will. And then there's a third word, uh, phileo, which uh, the word here for brotherly love would be philadelphia, which is, you know, Philadelphia is what? It's the city of what? The city of brotherly love. And, and so this third kind of love is what the writer's talking about here. And, and, and what it is, it's, it's about... It's a warm, caring, tender concern for the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. This brotherly love. Hey, this is the kind of love. This brotherly love. This is the kind of love that motivates the carpenter's helpers to go to someone's home that's been in a flood and mud their home out and then remodel and then rebuild their home for them uh, in the name of Jesus. 
This is the kind of love, this warm, tender, caring love. This is the kind of love that, that causes you when someone uh, that you love and care about or someone in the body of Christ is going through an illness or they're going through a grief period, they've, they've lost someone to love. This is the kind of love that comes and, and puts their arms around them and just says, hey, so you know I care for you and I love you and I'm going to be there for you. Uh, this, is, this is the kind of love that celebrates with the, with the family during the seasons of life. When there's a new baby, this is the kind of love that comes alongside and, and, and takes the meal to the home and, and, and hosts the shower. Or when, when that baby grows up and it's getting married, this is the kind of love that comes around and, and helps in the seasons of life. And this is the kind of love. This is the kind of love that causes people to, to give substantially and sometimes sacrificially uh, to the kingdom so somebody else's kids can go to camp or somebody else's kids can go to disciple now. This is the kind of love that gives substantially uh, to the crisis pregnancy center. So there's a place for a young lady that finds herself pregnant uh, with an unplanned pregnancy. There's a place for her to go and get help. And there's a way for that baby to survive. This kind of love that builds a rescue home for women that have been been caught in human trafficking and been rescued and, and makes a place for them. This is the kind of love that gives your money so we can give a Bible stick to a soldier somewhere in Iraq or wherever they are so they can hear the Word of God. See, see this is, listen, the Bible says we're to demonstrate love for our brothers. There's this, this love, if you will. It's, it's this warm, caring love. But there's another, there's another way we demonstrate love. I mean, look down in your Bibles there at verse 2. It says, it says, do not neglect. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And, uh, and, and it goes on to say, and I've often thought about this. It says, because uh, some have entertained angels un- unaware. And I used to think what that meant was, hey, you never know who, you, you, you may pick some guy up on the side of the road and it might be an angel. I don't really think that's what the scripture's talking about. What the scripture's talking about there is, is Abraham in Genesis 18, some strangers, in fact, three strangers showed up to his tent. He was sitting in the tent, it was a cooler day. Three strangers shows up and he says, hey, glad you guys are here. Would y'all, would y'all wait while I go get you a morsel of bread? It's an interesting story because he says, I'm going to go get you a morsel of bread. And they said, yeah, we'll wait. And so what he does is he goes to his wife and he says, Sarah, you need, listen, you need to take three efforts and you need to do this. You need to build something. He runs out to the herd. He picks a calf and he brings it to a servant. He says, quick, prepare this calf. And so he doesn't give him a morsel. Man, we're talking about steak and beans. He shows hospitality. Well, you know who's showing? He, he didn't know that. But it was Jesus pre-incarnate, the Lord, and two angels, because those two angels wound up down in Sodom and Gomorrah. But you can read about the whole story in, in Genesis uh, 18 19. But here's what I'm saying. We need to show hospitality to strangers. Now, when you do that, don't, don't invite somebody to lunch, or don't invite somebody into your home, or, or don't pick somebody up beside the road and then reach over and Poke them just to see if they're an angel. Okay, that, that's, that, that's not what you're to do. You, you, we're, to, we're, to just, we're just love strangers. 
That's what really the word stranger is phalazenia. Phalazenia. It's the same derivative as the word phileo, which we get to love our brothers. And so we're to love people we don't know. Now, that's the kind of love that when you, when you show up at church and you see somebody you don't know and you kind of tell their news, that's the kind of love that goes up and introduces themselves and welcomes them. And, and, and maybe you invite them to sit with you or you take them over to the coffee bar and, and offer them uh, some hospitality. Or if they got kids, you say, hey, I'd love to take care of our children's building. But, it, but that's the kind of love. That's the kind of love that, that says to, uh, to a stranger, somebody we don't know, hey, hey, we'd like to invite you to lunch or we'd like to invite you into our home. It's loving the people you don't know. Now, here's what's interesting about that. I, I, I've never thought about it, but I noticed this last night. Look, look, notice the verbiage in, in 1 and 2. Just kind of follow along and I'll, I'll show what I'm talking about. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. It, it hit me last night. The natural thing for us to do is to love the people we know, right? The natural thing for us to do is to be in conversation, to be in a group with, to be in a setting with the people that we know. And so what the writer says here, he says, now continue to love the brothers, but don't neglect the stranger. Don't neglect the stranger. Because it's comfortable to talk about talk with people we know. It's comfortable to eat with people we know. It's comfortable to show hospitality to people we know. But the writer says, no, no. If you're going to please God and if I'm going to please God, if we're going to show love, we've got to love the stranger. So, students. Well, our students are around. Let me ask you students. How many of you, when you go to Echo on Wednesday night or when you go to Echo... On Sunday morning, instead of just focusing on your group, how many of you students, you're, you're looking around and go, oh, there's somebody new. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to love this new person because I've got a group and they don't have one. Adults, how many of you, right, just think about this. How many of you, when, when you show up here on Sunday morning or wherever you are, and, and you're in your group and you're talking and you're catching up, and man, this happened on Thursday and you're never going to believe this, and you're talking about the game, whatever, and you look up and there's someone and they're alone. See, this is the kind of love here. Hospitality is the kind of love that says, hey, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to go to the stranger. And I'm going to show them hospitality. That's how we demonstrate love. And so what the writer's saying, if you're going to please God, if we, the way we treat mankind is we love the brothers, we love the strangers. But look down in verse 3. This is where it really gets challenging. He says, now remember those who are in prison. As though. Now look at this. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. How many, don't answer this. How many of you have ever been to prison? Don't answer this. Okay, we don't, okay. Now, I, I don't know what that would be like, but I, 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 I would suspect that that is a very lonely, very difficult thing. Now, I think the writer's greatest intent here was to remember the brothers and sisters that were in prison because a lot of them, men that had their homes taken, that had their property seized, uh, many of them were in prison for their faith. 
And he says, listen, you, you need to remember as if you were in prison with him. And then he talks about, and also the mistreated. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, we need to love the people that are hurting. We need to love the people that are hurting. Y'all, we, we talked about this in prayer time this morning. Man, our world, and I think we said this a couple of years ago, man, this is a broken world. I mean, it is, it is so broken. I mean, it, we're, the stuff's messed up here at home. I don't know if you read the headlines this morning, a big bombing in, in Baghdad, I guess today, because it was Sunday there, killed about 90 people, 15 children, over 170 women. I mean, this world, Bangladesh happened. Three American college students were killed this week in Bangladesh. This world is broken. And we're to love people. We're to love the hurting. Now, from just, let me, just, let me be real practical, just quickly. How, 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 can, how can we love the hurting? Let me just give you three things. First of all, you are with your presence. Sometimes when people are hurting, what they, they just need somebody to come put their arm around. And then they're going through a divorce. You know, their parents are going through a divorce. You know, they've lost a loved one. They've lost their job. You know, uh, you know, some tragedy. Hey, well, they just need somebody to come put their arm around them. They don't, they don't even need you to say anything. They just need you to be there. And so, so we love the hurting, first of all, with our presence. Secondly, a second way we love the hurting is with, with our provision. I mean, you know what? Sometimes people that are in trouble, sometimes the people that are hurting, you know what they need? They need money. I mean, they just, they, you know, uh, sometimes they need us to bring them a meal. I mean, think about that. Sometimes we just need to take somebody a meal. Sometimes we need to help pay somebody's bill. Sometimes we just need to take our truck and, and help them pack their stuff up and get on the road. But, I mean, there's just some practical things that we can do to love the hurting. I talked about the carpenter's helpers. Man, these guys, I mean, I'm just telling you, it's incredible what these men and ladies do to help people. Man, they remodel their homes and they mow their ground. They do all these. I mean, when people are hurting and struggling, sometimes you need to put your arm around them, but sometimes you need to get busy. You need to get busy. So they need your presence. They need your provision. And then, uh, but sometimes it's just your prayer. You know, there, there's not a lot we can do for what's going on in Bangladesh this week. There's not a lot we can do for what's happening in, in uh, Baghdad. There's not a lot. I don't know if you noticed this earlier in the week. I couldn't find the article. I, in fact, the reason I know about Baghdad, I was looking for an article. Uh, a Christian village in uh, Lebanon was infiltrated by ISIS earlier this week, and several suicide bombers just went in a group and blew themselves up and just because it was Christian. Now, there's not a lot we can do to provide. And there's not a lot we can do to be present. But you know what we can do? We can pray. And we should. Now, you, the young guys in here, y'all won't, y'all won't know this or remember this. But anybody remember when we first kind of got satellite TV? I mean, when I was little, the wide world of sports would come on. And I was, it was amazing to me that, that there was snow skiing in Europe. And we could watch it here live. And that was just revolutionary. And, and, and here was the thing. What would happen is they're skiing over here. They would send a signal up to the satellite. And then the signal from the satellite would come down here to the cable tower behind my house. And I could watch skiing in, in, in my living room. And that was just amazing. It was, it was kind of like it went up from here on the other side of the world. And it came down here on this side of the world. Now, here's, you say, what does that have to do with anything? Listen, you can't be in Lebanon or Baghdad or Bangladesh you can't even be in Kyle 
right now. But we can get on our knees here. And we can impact people over there. If we'll send the prayer up, God will signal, take the signal from us, and God will send the blessing down over there. And so what you so so we need to pray. We just need to pray for people. I mean, don't underestimate. Brandon would probably say one of the things missionaries covet the most is our prayers. Because when we engage, you know, because it's a war. So, so that's how we demonstrate love. We demonstrate love by loving the hurting, by loving the stranger, and by loving the brothers. Secondly, now that's how we deal with mankind, but how do we deal with marriage? And we've got to move quickly. Uh, we need to... Not only do we demonstrate love to mankind, but we also celebrate purity in marriage. Look down in your Bibles there at verse 4. The writer says, Let marriage be held in honor. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. And so clearly, uh, marriage is, is first and foremost God. Did you know that marriage was the first institution? ordained by God. He, he ordained that institution in the second chapter of Genesis. In, in fact, let me just share a couple uh, scriptures. It, it's easy to find. Go back to Genesis. That's the first book. So go all the way to the left. Look in chapter 1. Because here's the thing. In our culture, last year the Supreme Court sought to redefine marriage. Now, who is it that has the right and the privilege to define marriage. Well, it's not the Supreme Court. It's not the United States. It's not any human institution. God is on record uh, in terms of, of what marriage is and who belongs in marriage. And, but that was last year. This year, the big issue uh, is, is gender identity. So let me read two verses, and then I, I want to just talk about how we honor uh, the marriage bit. Genesis 1, I think it's verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then chapter 2, verse 24, um, therefore, a man, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And just, and so, in our culture, there's this struggle about, well, what really is marriage? Well, God has defined it. And the, the, the struggle today is, you know, the whole gender identity issue is really front and center and has been uh, for a couple, couple of months. And, and I can't imagine what it might be like to struggle with this sense of, of identity. And, and, and the, you know it's, it's, it's got to be difficult. It, and I empathize with those who, who are really trying to figure out, okay, who am I? And, and I want to exercise compassion. And, and, then, and for those who, who are attracted to, to persons of the same gender, I, I can't identify with that, but I know it's a sense of struggle. And I know where to love people. And we must show grace. And we must uh, show compassion. And we must show love. However, having said that, God has created male and female. God has ordained that marriage is between one man and one woman in a monogamous, permanent relationship. And we dare not, we must not compromise the Word of God. And I, we will not. We will speak the truth. Now, we will show, we must show love. 
And we must be gracious. But the scripture says that the marriage is to be honored by all. And God's marriage is a man and a woman in a monogamous relationship permanently. That's what God's promised to honor. That, and God has a reason. We don't have time to get into the specific. But he goes on to say, not only is it to be held in honor by all, but notice he says that the marriage bed is, is also to be undefiled. The marriage bed is to be undefiled. And so, uh, so what we need to do is we need to maintain purity in the context of this marriage relationship. Now, that demands purity before marriage. And that demands purity during marriage. And again, we, we can't get into the specifics, and we'll probably come back to this in a few weeks. But, but I want to just, for just a few minutes, let me just talk about what, what can you do. If you're here and married, and are, and are married, how, how, do you, how do you maintain or, or keep the marriage bed pure and undefiled? Let me just give you a couple quick things to think about. First of all, if the marriage bed is to be pure and undefiled, first of all, the husband and wife must guard the relationship. We must guard the relationship. And what I mean by that is, is the husband must be a, a loving, leading, godly man that is leading his wife and his family according to the Scriptures. That is it. That's it. Nothing else will work. And the wife has to be a loving, submissive wife willing to follow her husband as Christ or as the church follows Christ. And, and in order for that to happen, there, there's got to be uh, what, what the Apostle Paul taught us in Philippians 2. There's got to be this uh, selflessness. In fact, let me read uh, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says this. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of of others, and, and so what it boils down to, if you're going to guard your relationship and keep your marriage pure, you got to put your spouse first. You say you don't know my spouse. I, I, I agree, I don't. You don't know mine. Well, you probably do know mine, but uh, but the, the point is, where to esteem others is more important than ourselves. And so, if both of you do that, you're both good to go, right? I mean, isn't that true? I mean, you're good. If, if you'll put her first and she'll put you first, then you're both first. But if you try to get your way and she tries to get her way, neither, neither one of you gets your way. So, so guard, first of all, guard uh, the relationship. Secondly, I would say you need to guard, you need to guard the heart. Now, here's, and I wish we had more time for this, but, but let me just say this. Marriage is, God designed marriage for intimacy. There needs to be something special between a husband and wife. And what that means is that, listen, your spouse, they got to be your honey love and your one and only. You don't, listen, if you're struggling, you don't go open your heart up to someone of the opposite gender. You say, well, my wife don't listen or my husband don't and I need some. No, no. You need to learn to communicate. You need to sit down with them. But, hey, guys, don't. Don't go, to, don't go to lunch with some other woman, just you and them. Ladies, don't, don't go spend time with some other man when you're married. Now, if they're old enough to be your grandma, then you're probably good. But I'm telling you, now you may think I'm weird. I, I, I don't get, me and some other woman aren't getting in the car together, unless she's older than my mom. 
Okay, old enough to be my mom. That's not going to happen. Now, now you, you might say, well, you know, you should. Hey, I, I want to guard my heart. And I want to guard my marriage. And I, I, don't, I don't want any chance for me to start talking to someone else or someone else to start talking to me about, listen, you need to guard, your, you need to guard the intimacy of your marriage. You, you, you need to talk shop, talk with your wife. Or go get a counselor. Don't go have lunch with somebody of the opposite gender. Don't stay late at work and pour out your heart to somebody because the intimacy belongs in the marriage. That's how you keep it pure. Third, you guard your, you guard your relationship, you guard your heart. Number three, you've you got to guard your mind. You have to guard your mind. You know how you guard your mind? Through what you see, through what you hear, and through what you watch. Don't Listen to smut, don't watch smut, and don't look at it on your electronic device. Period. Just period. No excuses. No justification. Guard your mind by shutting the door of your eye and your ear to smut. Okay? Enough said. We'll move on. So, we, you need, if you want to celebrate purity, and if you want to keep the marriage bed undefiled, you've got to guard the relationship, you've got to guard your heart, and you've got to guard your mind. Now, he told us we need to love the hurting. He said we need to love our spouse. He said we need to love the brethren. We need to love the strangers. And he comes to money, and guess what he says? Don't love the money. You've got to love the people, but don't love the money. Look at verse 5. Notice how he says it. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And so, uh, now that doesn't mean you can't have money. And I, I think you can like money. I mean, I like money because, I, you know, I like to eat. I like to drive. You know, I like, every now and then I like to get a, 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 new, a new set of clothes. You know, I, I, I like having a house. I mean, I like sleeping under a roof. Okay, So money, it's, it's okay to have money. It's the love of money. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't have to worry about loving money because I don't have any, okay? Well, you don't have to have it to love it, and you can have a lot of it and still not love it. Did you get that? You don't have to have it to love it, and, and just because you have a lot of it doesn't mean you love it. What it boils down to is, is this issue of, of, of loving it and, and being passionate for it. Um, turn in your Bibles. Great passage. Turn back to 1 Timothy, just a few books back. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Listen with me in, in verse, beginning of verse 6. The Apostle Paul talks about this, and what a great description he gives. Verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me say that again, because this is so hard for Americans. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire, listen to this, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Not money, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Now watch what happens. It is through this craving, the craving 
more money that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Tom Nelson made a great statement, and I think it's so, you probably ought to write this down. He says, he says a lot, he says, some Christians glance at God and they gaze at the world and what it has to offer. He says, but some Christians glance at the world, but they gaze, they set their gaze on God. Here's what I want to ask you this morning. What is it that you are gazing at? What is it that captures your attention? Because whatever we're gazing at, whatever we're planning for, whatever arrests our attention, that's our God. That's why Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon or money. You want to have one God. So who, what are you gazing at? Now, the, the deal, the, the problem with money is, is you, you're not going to keep it. Uh, in fact, uh, let me just look quickly over to Proverbs uh, 23. Uh, let me just share this verse with you. Um, any, any rock and rollers in here? Any, any uh, rock and rollers here? I, I got a verse that's going to, I got a song for you. Let me, let me find this verse. Have we got it up there on the screen yet? Proverbs 23, verse 4. I'll, I'll get there. Hang on a second. 23, 4 says, says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Any of you ever had, have, has any of your money sprouted wings and flew away? Yeah. If you're a rock, see, in the 1970s, the Steve Miller band had a, had a great song. It says, Fly Like an Eagle. Now, he was talking about money. I mean, he was talking about time, but here's what I know about money. Money will fly away like an eagle. It just will. And, and you're going, listen, you're going to leave your money sooner or later. It may fly like an eagle today, or you may fly like an eagle tomorrow, but you're going to leave your money. Now, if you're like me, and you've got two daughters to go to college, and then two daughters to marry off, or some of you may have three daughters, or, or some of you may even have four daughters, listen, i got a sneaking suspicion that some of, that, some of our money is going to fly away earlier or sooner than later, right? You know, if you're going to send a couple kids to college and marry off a couple, uh, it's probably going to cost you. But, it, but you say, man, I'm already past that, so I'm good to go. No, no. When you leave, it's going to stay. I've been preaching for 20-odd years. I've done a few funerals. You know, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Not, not, not ever, ever. And uh, some, some rich guy died, and somebody said, man, how much did he leave? And the guy said, he left it all. <laughs> right. Hey, you're going to leave it all. Now, you can send some ahead, but that's kind of another story, uh, another sermon for another. But, but here's what I want you to listen. We, we just need to understand. Listen, we, we should gaze at God. Why should we gaze at God? Look down. Go back to Hebrews 13. Look down at verse 5 just real quickly. He says, he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, your money's going to leave. Sooner or later, it's going to leave you or you're going to leave it. But if you get Jesus... If I get Jesus, if we have Jesus, the writer says, listen, he's never going to leave. He's never going to leave. 
And if you leave, you're going to him. And so the writer says, listen, keep yourself free from the love of money. Be content. Listen, if God, if God chooses to give you more money, be thankful. Enjoy it. Invest it. Give some of it. But be thankful. If God chooses not to give you or me, if he chooses not to give us more, then be grateful. Man, we got a place to sleep. Most of us have a car to drive if we're old enough. I'm looking out. Y'all, you look pretty well fed. I don't see anybody that looks like they've gone hungry uh, much. You know, if you're hungry, you should have got a muffin, okay? So so we're, we're, we're good. So be, you know... Paul said, wherever I'm at, I've learned to be content. He said, when I've got a lot, I'm good. He said, when I don't have anything, I'm good. So we just need to learn to be good. And so now, if you want to please God, if you want to pass the test, if you will, you've got to demonstrate love for people. You've got to love the brothers. You've got to love the strangers. You've got to love the hurting. You've got to love your spouse. But don't love money. Now, how do you do that? Let me just real quickly just tell you how you do that. You need to, if you want to please God, you got to get a hold of Jesus. You got to take hold of Jesus. And then you got to let Jesus get a hold of you. See, the only way I'm going to love like I'm supposed to love, and the only way I'm going to love the things I should love and, and not love the things I shouldn't, is I got to have Jesus. I, you you got to have Jesus in your heart. That's what you got to do. I, I read this story, I heard this story, and then I looked it up and I read it. Uh, a couple different versions. But back in the old country, there was a custodian at a cathedral. This cathedral had this massive pipe organ. And it's just well-renowned. Everybody knew it. And, of course, the custodian was kind of in charge. And they only let the organ player play it. Well, one day, he's, I think it was a Saturday afternoon, uh, the custodian heard footsteps. He thought the he thought the building was empty, and he heard steps, and, and he, gets, he goes into the cathedral, and sure enough, there was a guy kind of shabbily dressed, and he was just looking at that organ. And when the custodian comes up to him, he said, you know, I, uh, uh, would you mind, could I, could I look at, could I just see uh, kind of the control center? Could you uncover it where I could look at the buttons and the, the stops and all that? And he said, well, you can, uh, you can look at it, but you can't play it. So he uncovers it, and the guy says, would you mind if I sat down on the bench? And the custodian didn't want to let him, but finally he relented, and he says, you can sit on the bench, but, but you can't play. And the custodian noticed as he slid down on the bench, and he just looked like he knew what he was doing. And so before the guy could ask, he says, you can't play it. And so the man, again, he, he, said, he said, sir, I've come a long ways. Could I, just, could I just play it for a moment? And so the custodian sat down beside him and said, sure, you can play. And so the guy pulled out a few stops, and however that works, Jan, Miss Jan knows. And, and he began to play. And when he began to play, the most beautiful, resonating music the custodian had ever heard. He, he said, it just seemed like the angels were singing. And he said, I was enraptured. And he says, the next thing I know, the guy stopped playing. He gets up to leave. And he said, I was mesmerized. And finally, I, I went after him and said, who are you? And the guy says, my name's Mendelssohn, Felix Mendelssohn, one of the great musicians of the 19th century. 
And, and the guy left, and here's what the custodian, he, here's what he, he said, he, he began to reflect, and he thought, I was in the presence of the master, and I almost refused to let him play my instrument. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the presence of the master, Jesus Christ. Don't refuse to let him play music in your life. Don't refuse to let Jesus be Lord of your life. We, we've, we've spent months learning how great he is, how much better he is than anything. But you've got to decide, are you willing to let the master into your life?